tonight. Isaiah chapter 37 in your Bibles, and we're going to be looking at the entire chapter. My goal is to get through this entire 38 verses in 45 minutes. Some of you are saying, Pastor, that is not possible. The way you teach and preach, there's no way we're going to get through. And you might be right, but I'm going to make a strong effort tonight to get all the way through. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah 37, and we're going to begin by looking at the first three verses. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, um, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, unto Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, and of rebuke, and of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. The title of the Bible study tonight is this, Have Faith in God. Have Faith in God. Uh, they are in a bind here in Isaiah 37. I mean, it looks like they're about to die in this chapter. And uh, Isaiah's message is, have faith in God. Let's pray tonight. God, help us to see uh, exactly what you want us to see in the Bible tonight. Lord, meet with us tonight. Show us, uh, God, where we, our faith can grow and improve. Every single one of us in here and those even watching online, uh, we all have room to grow in our faith. We all have room where we can trust you more. We all have areas where we're weak. And Lord, tonight, address those in our heart. And help us to believe that no matter what circumstance you put us in, and no matter how dire the situation is, that, God, you reign supreme and that you can overcome any problem. Help us not to lean on our own understanding, but, Lord, to trust in, in all of your ways. Be with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, in Isaiah chapter 36, we were there, I think, three weeks ago, if I, in my memory serves me correctly. Isaiah chapter 36, the chapter preceding chapter 37 uh, the people of Jerusalem found themselves surrounded by the Assyrian army. Now, what had happened? The Assyrian army was this massive army, and they had marched into Israel, where uh, at this time Israel and Judah have become two countries. Israel is made up of ten states, if you will, or tribes, and then Judah is made up of two states, as we would see it, or tribes. And so, uh, territorially, the Israel would have been the larger area. And Assyria marched in with their army and just walked all over Israel. I mean, it was ugly. It was a bloodbath. They demolished Israel. They carried them away into captivity. They, they burnt their fields. They tore down their cities. And Israel was decimated. Uh, those ten northern tribes never have since been reestablished as a country. And then Assyria began to work its way into the nation of Judah and started on the outskirts of Jerusalem and really took over the entire country of Judah except the city of Jerusalem. And now, chapter 36, we find an army, watch this now, of 185,000 soldiers having surrounded Jerusalem. And Rabshakeh, the general, Rabshakeh just means general, the general of the Assyrian army, he comes up to the wall of Jerusalem. Now again, back then they didn't have helicopters and you know B-52 bombers, and so a wall would have kept you safe. And he comes up to the wall where the soldiers of, of Jerusalem are standing, and he says to them in the Jewish language, he says, hey, we're going to take you, and we're going to kill you, 
if you don't just wave the white flag of surrender and turn yourself over. And chapter 36 contains some of the most blasphemous verses in the Bible. Chapter 36, Rabshakeh pretty much just says that the God of Israel is nothing and cannot do anything to help them. So, what was he doing here? He's taunting the Jews. He's taunting the Jews. So to go back to, and I'm just covering this. By the way, take your Bibles over to Mark chapter 11. Obviously, we're going verse by verse through Isaiah. Put a marker there. Mark chapter number 11. What did Rabshakeh do? Well, he discredited Jerusalem's alliance with Egypt. Remember, he said, you're trusting in Egypt? They're not going to come through for you. It's like leaning on a broken reed, right? That's like... To use modern day English, it's like putting your hand on a rusty, sharp pipe, metal pipe. You're just gonna, it's just gonna run right through you. That reliant alliance you have with Egypt, they're, you've given them money, they're not coming to your rescue. They're not gonna stop us from hurting you. But he didn't stop by, and by the way, Rab Shaka was right on that. It was, he was right on that. Isaiah had said the same thing, that you should not be trusting Egypt. And Hezekiah, the king of Jerusalem, of Judah, made a mistake trusting Egypt and giving Egypt money. Egypt was never going to help them. But then Rabshakeh didn't stop with discrediting their alliance with Egypt. He went on to deride their God. He went on and said, do you really think your God's going to help you? We're going to see more of this tonight. Rabshakeh is going to turn up the rhetoric again tonight, the propaganda, but in chapter 37. But what does he say? He says, look, every nation we've been to, they worship gods. Every one of them, including your northern neighbor of Israel. They all worship gods. And guess what? None of their gods delivered them from us. Do you think that somehow your God is different than ours? Don't put your faith in God. Then Rabshakeh went on and he diminished their leader. Now, this is exactly how Satan works, is it not? He goes and finds an area in your life where you're wrong. And he, he makes you feel real guilty over sin in your life. You know, Satan is a master of sitting on one shoulder and tempting you to do wrong. And then after you do it, he switches shoulders and then he makes you feel guilty for doing wrong. How do you know what I'm talking about tonight? You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you, right? Uh, your, your, your spouse gives you a hard time over something, and Satan's like, let him have it, let him have it. Then you let him have it, and you switch your shoulders and says, you're a terrible spouse. How, how, you call yourself a Christian, and you behave like that? And that's exactly what Rabshakeh is doing here. He's finding where they made a mistake, and he's exploiting it. And then what's he doing? He's then going after their God. You know, that's what Satan does. He finds a mistake you made, and then he starts to go after your God. He starts to go after your faith. He starts to say, maybe God isn't real. Uh, maybe God can't really help you through that trial. Listen, you've prayed, and, and your situation didn't get any better, and so God's not really listening to you, and, and God's not going to help you from your problem. And then he goes after your spiritual leaders. That's what he did here. He went after Hezekiah. He said, hey, don't listen to that Hezekiah guy. And then... After he diminished their leader, he then turned around and demanded their loyalty. This is Satan's formula. Hey, you know what? Your pastor, don't listen to him. He's a hypocrite. I'm just going to give, a little secret, give away a little secret right now. I'm the pastor, and I know that I'm a hypocrite. Okay? I'm not going to hide that. Some of you have gotten to know me well enough, or you've seen little errors and faults and double standards. 
If you take a microscope and you look close enough, they're there. But guess what? They're there in your life too. So don't judge. Amen? Don't judge. Because you got them too. We all have them, don't we? Until we get to heaven, we're all going to have them. Now, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to have double standards. But I do. And when I see them, I try to work at it. But that's just the reality. And Satan's going to throw shade, if you will, at your spiritual leaders. Yeah, he, I wish our pastor, I wish my husband, I wish my, uh, that, that deacon, I wish that life group leader would practice what he preaches. Boy, sister such and such walks around here like they got it all together. But you know what? I, I, I bet, I bet they're, they're not all that at home. Diminishing the leader, diminishing the leader. And then what does Satan turn around and do? He demands loyalty to him. And that's exactly what Rabshak is doing here. He's saying, wave the white flag of surrender. Come out. We'll give you better fields to, to, uh, to have. And, you know, sometimes it can feel as though your personal faith is under assault. In these times, what should you do? Look at chapter, Mark chapter 11. Look at verse 22. I want everyone looking there because I'm going to have you read a phrase in just a moment. And if you're not looking at the Bible, you won't be able to participate. So everyone lock in on Mark 11. And verse 22. Can you do that? All right. The Bible says, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Read what Jesus said. Here we go. Have faith in God. There's the title of our Bible study tonight. Have faith in God. Now, Jesus is going to say some things that just seem wild here. Look at 23. For verily or surely I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he uh, saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. Jesus says that if you pray according to the Father, if you pray according to God's will, and you pray with a heart of faith, no matter how impossible the situation seems, God will, God can, and God will come through. Now, that might seem wild. I mean, I, I, I'm, I've been in church my whole life. I have never seen anyone pray a mountain into the ocean. I've not seen it. But can I just say this? I believe this with all my heart. If a mountain needed to be moved in the ocean, and it was God's will for that mountain to be moved in the ocean, and someone prayed by faith that that mountain would be moved in the ocean, then that mountain would be moved in the ocean. Amen? How many believe that tonight? We believe, it, we believe in a God who, who is greater than any laws of physics, greater than any laws of science. Listen, people say, well, science says it can't be done. Uh, God created science. He can manipulate it any way He wants. He can do whatever He wants with it. The question isn't, can God? The question is, will you believe in God that He can? Have faith in God. So the Israelites are in a real pickle. There's 185,000 soldiers surrounding Jerusalem. And Rabshakeh makes a fair statement. He says, if I gave you 2,000 soldiers, you wouldn't even have an army of men trained to ride those horses. So they don't even have 2,000 guys who know how to ride a horse. Calvary, cavalry here, cavalry, however you say the word. But they have 185,000 soldiers. Listen, on paper, militarily, Israel should not have, Jerusalem should not have won this battle. But there's one factor at play here, and that is God. God, 
Listen, it can be you and God against the rest of the 8 billion people on planet Earth. If you've got God on your side, the advantage is in your favor. Amen? And if God is not, it's just God reaches down with his finger and he tips the scale with anyone he wants. So let's jump into the story here in Isaiah 37. And let's just see how this plays out. Okay, you have an outline there. I hope you have a pen. And let's, let's go here. Number one, here we go. Hezekiah's response. Hezekiah's response. So these men come running into Hezekiah's palace and they have a note from Rabshakeh, or, or at least they have a message from Rabshakeh, the general of the Assyrian army, and they tell Hezekiah, they say, hey, it doesn't look so good. This army's out there, and they're about to come in and just demolish us. What does Psalm 56.3 say? I, you all know it. You may not know that you know it, but you all know it. Say it with me. Here we go. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Uh, would you be afraid if you were in Hezekiah's spot right here? I sure would be. You're the king. You got 185,000 soldiers out there breathing down your neck, getting ready to, you know, take you out. And you're the king. Listen, uh, they might capture and take the other ones into captivity. You're the king. They're going to chop your head off. That's how this is going down. All right. It, you say, well, Hezekiah shouldn't have been afraid. I mean, the Bible says not to fear. Uh, let's just be realistic here. Every one of us, if we were in, on Hezekiah's uh, throne. We all would have been afraid. But you know what Hezekiah did when he was afraid? He trusted in God. What did Hezekiah do? How did he respond? Letter A, notice, he turned to prayer. He turned to prayer. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 37. It says, And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth. Now, the, the covering yourself with sackcloth, putting ash on your head, that was a culture uh, thing of grieving and, and taking a matter serious. Okay, We don't do that in our culture, but culturally, when you were grieving or you were sad or you were in a state of repentance, you put on a special type of garment called a sackcloth, and uh, you would put ash on your head, and that was a sign of grieving. Back there it says, and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of of the Lord. He went to church. Now, that's how we would look at it today. He went into the temple. When things got ugly and his fear is his uh, he was afraid, he picked himself up and the very first thing he did is he walked into the temple and he said, "I need to get alone with the Lord. I need to pray." Now, what is your response when things don't go your way? That's what I want to ask you this evening. When you have what feels like an army surrounding you, and it feels like everything is coming crashing down in your life, when it feels like problems are everywhere and you don't know how to handle it, how, how do you respond? Hezekiah responded by turning to prayer. Take your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to use our Bibles quite a bit tonight. This is a Bible study, and so get those Bibles out and get them ready. If you can't keep up with my speed then uh, you can sit and listen, all right? But First Peter 5, I want you to see this. Um, I was talking to my sister on the phone yesterday, uh, the one who lives in Fiji, uh, missionary to, her and her husband missionaries to Fiji. Many of you know that my sister Frances uh, had a miscarriage uh, right at her third trimester and had to deliver a stillborn baby, baby Miriam. And uh, that was just a recent thing. My mom flew out to Fiji to spend some time with Frances and was speaking with Frances on the phone, and she was telling me how much it's a struggle for her. Some days it's just really a struggle for her, and she's turned to a couple of resources for help, and 
This is a passage she shared with me on the phone uh, last night, and so I slipped it in here. Actually, I think it was Monday night, but I slipped it in here uh, for tonight. And, and I would like to develop this further. She shared some things with me about how this passage has helped her. But um, while my sister's walking around with a dark cloud over her head, she said First Peter 5, 6, down to the end of the chapter, has really been a help to her. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Look here. That he may exalt you in due time. Some of you walk around with a cloud over your head. You got problems all around you. You're afraid. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. Step one, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Quit questioning God on the why. Stop it. Humble yourself. Understand God is in charge and He makes no mistakes. Look here, it says, He may exalt you in due time. Now, verse 7 is a verse that we quote a lot. We all know verse 7. You go to church, you know verse 7. Casting all your care on Him, for He careth for you. Do you know that you cannot adequately cast your care on the Lord until you've humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God? We want to run and throw our problems at the feet of God without humbling ourselves before God. And that's not the order here. You humble yourself, then you cast your care on Him, for He careth for you. Look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant. We know this verse as well. Because your adversary, Satan is the adversary, uh, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So we must be careful. Um, We must be careful here that we are turning to God in prayer with our problem. So what did Hezekiah do with this answer or with this problem? His response, he turned to prayer, letter B. Notice he turned to the prophet. Go back to Isaiah 37 and look with me at verse number 2, Isaiah 37. It says, And he sent Eliakim, uh, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and uh, the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth. So they're also grieving. They're also concerned. They're wearing the garb unto Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos. So, What's the first thing he does? He goes straight to the church to pray. Straight to the temple to pray. The second thing he does is he sends for the preacher. He sends for the prophet. Look at verse 3. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy. For the children have come to the birth, and there is no strength to bring forth. And uh, this is a cultural phrase, but oftentimes in the Old Testament, when uh, someone did not have the strength to come through in a problem, they would relate it to a woman who was in labor and didn't have the wherewithal to push the child out, right? We're there, uh, uh, we're we're at a a time of great travail, but we don't have the energy to win the victory. Verse 4, It may be the Lord thy God will hear the word of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria his master had sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God has heard, wherewith lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. So what did Hezekiah do? He sent his counsel to Isaiah. Isaiah and said to Isaiah, he said, hey, preacher, we need you to pray for us. Get on your knees and pray that God would step in and do something. And uh, oftentimes when we're going through a hardship, uh, we, uh, we, we turn to uh, our own means of solving the problem. Uh, and maybe you're here tonight and you are a person of prayer. When life gets tough, you do bend your knee and call out to the God of heaven and ask him for help. And that's great, but don't stop there. You have 
pre- a pastor and you have friends in the church who could help bear that burden and carry that load. You need to make sure that you are networked at church so that people can pray for you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, is one of several verses in the Bible that say something similar. It says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Where no counsel is, the people fall. You know what Isaiah was for Hezekiah? He was his number one counselor. His number one counselor. Yes, he was the preacher. Yes, he was the prophet. But he was a counselor. And we're going to see he's going to give some counsel straight from God to him. Now, I don't claim, I want to be very clear on this, I don't claim to be a prophet. I am not a prophet. I am a preacher. All right. Some people say, well, the gift of prophecy is still around today. Well, if you mean prophecy in the sense of preaching, yes, I would agree with that. If you mean prophecy in the sense of people telling of the future, I don't believe that. I don't believe that any man is given a gift to predict the future. I don't believe that. I don't see that in the Bible. I just don't believe that. But uh, when it comes to, they were in the Old Testament. God does not work that way in the church age anymore. I, I just, that's, that's my strong, strong opinion. But uh, I am a preacher. I am not a prophet. I am never going to come to you and say, for instance, Brother Jason, the Lord told me to tell you. Now, the Lord tells me things about me. But I have never one time had the Lord tell me to tell Erlon. Erlon, you need to go get a haircut. Or Erlon, you need to go get, get some new glasses. Or Erlon, what happened to that, that, anyway, that tie you used to wear? No, I'm not, I, I didn't mean to say that. I'm just picking on you here. So I did text you, but I didn't. Yeah, and I got you, got you here, right? Um, but uh, the Lord never tells me to tell you anything. And the Lord doesn't tell you to tell me anything. The Spirit of God tells me things about me that I need to fix. But the Spirit of God does not tell me things that you need to fix. Over the years of being a pastor, I find this funny, but over the years of me being a pastor, I've had so many people walk up to me and say, you've been listening to my conversations this week. Do you have my house bugged? You've been reading through my text messages. How did you know that that was what I needed in that sermon. How, that illustration you used was eerily familiar to something that happened this week. And my answer is, I didn't know. But you know who does know? The Spirit of God. And He can move me to say things, or any other preacher, or even a, a, another Christian, to say something your direction that will encourage you. I have gone up and I have put my hand on many of shoulders and said... I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I want you to know that I love you and I'm praying for you. And you know what? I've had people do that for me. And God's not going to say, go up to that person and tell them, hey, you're going through a struggle and it's going to be okay. But God does say to me, hey, pray for such and such. Hey, text this brother over here and see if he's going to be in church tonight. I'm prompted in that way, but God does not work in that sense. Why am I bringing this out? Because... I am not a prophet. I am not a prophet, but I am a preacher. And I want to be your friend. And I want to help any way I can. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. You're going through a struggle. You say, Pastor, your type of counsel is not my cup of tea. Then find someone who is in the church and go get some counsel. Go get some wisdom. God's given us some good brothers and sisters in the church that can come along and help you. And so 185,000 soldiers... 
breathing down Hezekiah's uh, neck, ready to come in and take Jerusalem captive. And Hezekiah, how does he respond? He turns to the Lord in prayer and he turns to the prophet. Number two, notice the Lord's reassurance. The Lord's reassurance. Look at verse number six. The Bible says, And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord. Here we, here we go. The Lord is speaking through Isaiah. He's speaking to Hezekiah. Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard, wherewith the servant of the king of Syria uh, uh, have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Wow, 185,000 soldiers right outside the gate, getting ready to come in and attack. And Isaiah says to, um, uh, to Hezekiah, through his servants, he says, hey, don't sweat it. There's going to come a rumor of war elsewhere, and they're going to have to pick up and leave. And if you go and you read, uh, we're going to read the account here in a minute, but if you read on down a, little, a few verses later, that's exactly what, happened is that God was there to protect. Let's move on to number three. Notice Rabshakeh's reproach. Rabshakeh's reproach. He's about to reproach the Lord. And I use the word reproach because it's used over and over and over and over again here in this passage. We're going to see it here in just a moment. But um, the idea of reproach is just scoff and scorning and blaspheming. If, if, if I'm taunting Jason over here. I'm taunting him. I'm uh, reproaching him. I'm, I'm being a thorn in his side. I'm, I'm being unkind in his direction. That is a reproach. And Rabshak is about to taunt and jeer and stick it to um, uh, the nation of Israel verbally. Um, take your Bible over to Psalm chapter 75. And, and here's what I want to tell you. Um, and, and you turn over there and we're going to look at verse 8 and 9 first. But I just want you to get over there uh, so you can see it with me. Um, God comes through on His Word every time. If God says He's going to do something, He does it. So what did God tell Isaiah to tell Hezekiah? He told him, He said, there's going to be a blast, there's going to be a rumor of war, and they're just going to up and leave, and they're not going to be right outside your wall anymore. All right? Letter A, notice, under Rabshakeh's reproach, notice His distraction. His distraction. Look at verse 10. Through 13. Look at verse 10 through 13 with me. The Bible says, Then shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not... Hold on, let me, I, let me make sure we're reading the right verse here. Let's back up a little bit. Okay, uh, I gave you the wrong verse. Verse, um, verse 8 and 9. Look at verse 8, I'm sorry. So Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria... Warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. Here we are. And he heard say um, uh, concerning uh, Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, he has come forth to make war with thee. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying. So the distraction, um, uh, sure enough, just as Isaiah predicted, there is now war that Assyria has elsewhere on another border, border and Rabshakeh's got to pick up these 185,000 troops. He's got to march them and leave, and so they're no longer there. Now, why did this happen? Because God can move pieces around a chessboard and do exactly what He wants. Look at Psalm 75. Look at verse 6 and 7. Psalm 75. The Bible says, For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. 
But God is the judge. Look here. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Who is the king of the universe? God is. You say, well, man, there are some wicked, evil nations in this world. And there are some wicked, evil presidents, prime ministers, and kings in this world. Yes, there are. But who promotes them and who puts them down? God does. God does. Listen, I have come to accept, and this will really help a media-driven world. Uh, where the media, we got news media on 24-7, all right? This will really help you as a Christian. Understand that no matter who the governor of the state is, no matter who the legislative uh, representatives in our state are, no matter who the president, vice president is, God is the one that promotes and puts down. God is the one who does it. And just come to accept it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go vote. I believe you should vote. Amen? Amen? I believe you should vote. But at the end of the day, we leave the results up to the Lord. And here you have this nation who's invading Assyria on another side. How convenient that they invaded when they did. Because now God's using this to protect His people. You have an enemy that shows up strategically at this time, and here you have these circumstances, and that's the hand of God moving to get this enemy off of their border. But Rabshakeh didn't just pick up his soldiers and leave. He made sure to scribble out a taunt and send that in to scare Hezekiah. We see letter A, his distraction. What was his distraction? This enemy coming in and causing him to move. Letter B, notice his disrespect. His disrespect. Look down with me at verse number 10. So as he's leaving, he takes a verbal parting shot at Hezekiah. Verse 10. Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the king, kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered. Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Resif and the children of Eden, which were in um, uh, Telassar? Uh, where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arphad and the king of the city of uh, Sepharavim and, and uh, Hena and Iva? What's he saying here? He's saying, we just steamrolled all these countries. They all worship the God, and where are their gods? How'd that work out for them? You know what uh, uh, Rabshak is doing here? He's taking the God of Jerusalem and he's putting him down on a lower shelf with all of these false gods that these guys worship. He's saying, your God's no better than any of theirs. I have to say right there, if there was an Israelite who was fearful and, and, and began to buy in to this taunt, I have to say, I kind of understand why they would do that. The ten northern tribes had fallen to Assyria. The rest of the country of Judah had fallen already. They're down to one last city. Hey, maybe our God is not able to defend us. Have you ever been there where you felt like everything was just going wrong in your life? And you think to yourself, God, why? Why would you let this happen? Listen, if I was God, I would not let this happen to to someone like me. Where are you, God? Why aren't you helping through this problem? 
I have this hardship in my family. I have this hardship financially. There's this cancer. There's this struggle. And God, I'm calling out to you in prayer. And it just, you know, and then the fear begins to set in. And then your faith begins to fall apart. And you think, well, maybe it's that, maybe it isn't that God isn't hearing me. Maybe it's that God can't do it. Rabshakeh is trying to sell this to the Israelites. But to Rabshakeh, I want to remind him what Proverbs 21-24 says. Proud, proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. He's shaking his fist at God and saying, We are greater than God. Oh, that's going to come back to get him. Number four, notice Hezekiah's righteousness. Hezekiah's righteousness. Hezekiah did not, uh, did not run from God in his trial. He ran to God. Letter A. And this is a beautiful prayer that Hezekiah is about to pray. Look at letter A. His confidence in God. Look at verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up unto the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Are you picturing this? Rabshakeh has written out this taunt about how, this reproach, about how God is not going to be able to do anything for them. He's written it into a letter. He sent it into the throne where Hezekiah is. Hezekiah takes this. He goes into the temple. He lays it out on the altar. And he's going to pray before the Lord with this problem in his hand. Look at verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts. This is an amazing prayer. Make sure you're looking at it with me. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwelleth between the cherubims, Thou art the God, even Thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, Thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline Thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open Thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore have they destroyed them. What's he saying? He's saying, God, he's right. They went in and they steamrolled all these countries. And their gods didn't do anything to help them. He says, but hold on, you're not like those gods. You're not like those pieces of wood and metal that were formed with men's hands and can just be simply tossed in the fire. No, 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 no. They had a material God they could bow down and worship. You are an immaterial God as far as human hands go. You are in the heavens. You made the heaven and earth, and my confidence is fully in you. Turn over to Psalm 27 and look with me at verse number 3. Psalm 27. And we find David praying a very similar prayer in Psalm 27, 3 down through 6. And listen, here's what I want to drive uh, drive at tonight. Here's the nail I want to constantly, uh, the, the, the doctrinal nail, I want to constantly come back and hammer. When you're going through a hardship and when you're losing your your identity and you're not sure what's going on and you ought, you've, you're losing your orientation, double down, have confidence in God, have faith in God. Never give up on God because He's never going to give up on you. You may seem confused. Things may not be working out in your favor. Never give up trusting in God. Look at Psalm 27, look at verse 3. It says, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. 
One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. David, Hezekiah, the great, 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 somewhat way down the line, grandson of David, following the same formula as his forefather. David said, I'm going to go into the house of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Hezekiah doing the same thing. Verse 5, for in the, for in the time of trouble. Look here, this is beautiful. In the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. What did he do? He ran into the house of God and he said, God... I've got an enemy out there. Sennacherib is the king. Rabshak is the general. He said, I've got an enemy out there that is more fierce than I, physically I am. But I have one advantage he doesn't, and that is that you are on my team. And I have full confidence in you. Letter B, we see not only his confidence in God, letter B, we see his challenge to God. Look at verse 20. Back in our text, Isaiah 37. Look at verse number 20. He continues his prayer. Look at this. Now, there, now therefore, O Lord God, save us from His hand, that all kingdoms of the earth may know that Thou art the Lord, even Thou only. Oh, God loves it when we put Him to the test. He says, listen, I know that you are bigger and better and stronger and more capable than all those soldiers out there, than the greatest Syrian army. He says, God, now, I believe in you. I need you to show up and prove it. I need you to show up and prove it. And that's exactly what the Lord would do. Number five, we see Judah's refuge. Judah's refuge. Here you have Jerusalem laid siege. By the way, right outside of Jerusalem... Where Judah was, all that, all of that rural area laid their farmland, now under Assyrian control. Uh, things were desperate. Look at letter A here. We find in 21 through 35, we find the response to Hezekiah's prayer, God's response to Hezekiah's prayer. And what we find is that there are, um, there are three points that, he, that the Lord makes through this answer. Letter A, notice, Jerusalem would be protected. Jerusalem would be protected. Look at verse 21. The Bible says, Then Isaiah the son of Amos said unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Whereas thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, uh, this is the word which the Lord hath spoken concerning him, the virgin. Notice that word virgin. I'm going to explain that in a minute. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee, and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Why was Jerusalem called a virgin? Because Jerusalem, at this point, at this point, under King David's rule, King David conquered Jerusalem and made it the capital. We're looking at that on Sunday evenings out of Second Samuel. At, at this point in history, Jerusalem had never been taken captive. So Jerusalem, from a captivity standpoint, was still considered virgin. They'd never been taken captive. And so he's saying here that the virgin... Israel is going to end up laughing at the Assyrians. Look down at verse 31. 31. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah, this is still the, the Lord's answer to Hezekiah's prayer, 
The remnant that is escaped to the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they shall escape out of Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the uh, same shall he return, and shalt not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. So why was God going to protect Jerusalem? Well, it was because of the way that Hezekiah handled it in part. But this also goes all the way back to 2 Samuel 7, where God promised David that he would defend the city. Now, would God forever defend the city? No. We know that Babylon would come in several generations later and would take away the Israelites out of Jerusalem in the captivity. But here God is doing his best to keep David's lamp burning just a little bit longer. So we see Jerusalem. God promised here that Jerusalem would be protected. Letter B, we see the Assyrians would be punished. Look at verse 23. This part of the response is aimed at the Assyrians. Look at 23. Let's read down through 29. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel? By thy servants hast, uh, hast thou reproached the Lord, and hast said, By the multitude of my chariots am I come up to the height of the mountain, to the sides of Lebanon, and I will cut down the tall cedars thereof, and the choice firs thereof, and I will enter into the height of his border, and the forest of his, uh, of his carmel I have digged and drunk water, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the river of the besieged places. Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be to lay waste defense cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and of the green herb and uh, the grass of the uh, and uh, see as the grass of the housetops as the as corn blasted before it be grown up. Look here. But I know speaking of the Assyrians I know thy abode and thy going out and thy coming in and thy rage against me because thy rage against me uh, and thy tumult it came up into mine ears. Therefore will I put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. Verse 29 sounds like some of the jewelry some of the teenagers wear in their face these days, doesn't it not? A hook in the nose, a bridle in the lip, right? I'm going to grab it and I'm going to turn you wherever you go, right? Why, why do you want a, a, a hoop in your nose? So I'm going to grab it and say, let me show you where to go, right? And God says, listen, I'm going to take you and I'm going to turn you right around from where you went. Now, I find this really interesting and we're running out of time, but I, I want to get through this here. We're almost done. I find it really interesting that from verse, let's see, uh, did I put the verses down here? Uh, the, okay, from 23 to 29, or rather where Rabshakeh is speaking earlier in the chapter, we find the words, I and my, from Rabshakeh, we find those words occur seven times in these verses. If you go back to Isaiah 14, and you, you, you look at uh, the story of Lucifer being cast out of heaven, what words did Lucifer continue to use? I and my. Self-promotion, look at me, look what I can do. And God says, if you're going to exalt yourself against me, I'm going to punish you. Let's never forget Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Another 
verse we're all familiar with. Pride goeth before what? And a haughty spirit before a... Listen, Rabshakeh, you're acting the fool. You're acting like, excuse my language, you're acting like an idiot. You're standing there saying, the God of Israel is, is nothing. The God of Israel is garbage. Uh, we're going to run right over you. You think your God can stop us? Even if Hezekiah was not a good king, you're, you're challenging God like that. You're going to end up, you're going to end up getting punished. There's one more thing the Lord wants to communicate to Israel here, to the, the residents of Jerusalem. Letter C, we see the Lord would provide. The Lord would provide. Now, we don't know exactly where on the calendar uh, this took place. However, it very well could have been that Assyria, now this is really, really good. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Don't check out on me, all right? We're almost done, but I want you to hear this. It very well could have been that Assyria conquered the rest of Judah and kept them from farming their land. And now with no farmland, there was no agriculture. No planting, there was no agriculture. And so even if all 185,000 soldiers were to just disappear, hey, when the harvest comes in, what are they going to eat? What are they going to eat? You understand the problem here? Look at verse 30. And this shall be a sign unto thee, Ye shall eat this year, such as groweth of itself. You didn't get a chance to plant, but what's going to grow out of the ground naturally, it's going to be plenty. Look here. And the second year, that which springeth of the same, and in the third year sow ye, and reap and plant vineyards, and eat the fruit thereof. God says, listen, I know that you didn't get a chance to plant this year. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to grow the fruit out of the ground. And you're going to be just fine. Hey, listen, God brought this trial in my life and I missed a payment on my mortgage. Or God brought this trial in my life and I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. And God brought this problem in my life and now I don't know how I'm going to handle uh, this issue. Listen, put your faith in God. He controls it all anyway. Now, Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6 is often uh, used out of context to talk about soul winning. I think there's an application for soul winning. But I don't think it's the, it's not, it's definitely not the, the meaning. You know the verses, they say, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and reapeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Many believe that Psalms 126 was written during this time. That these verses, sowing in tears, reaping in joy, going forth and bearing precious seed, had everything to do with God giving them victory over the Assyrians. Let's finish out the Bible study tonight. Number six, notice, Assyria is ruined. Assyria's ruin. Look at verse 36. So, uh, back up here. What did God promise to Hezekiah through uh, Isaiah? He, he promised him that there would be a, a loud noise, they would all leave, and that eventually uh, that the enemy would be destroyed and that the king would die. Okay, look at verse 36. And I had a lot of fun researching this because this actually did come to pass. And there's some outside history out there uh, from other sources that concur with the Bible's account, at least on some level. Look at verse 36. Let's finish out the chapter. 36 through 38. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and four score, that's 180, and 5,000. 185,000. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. You're, 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 you're not getting any sleep at night because there's 185,000 soldiers ready to come in and invade and, 
and, and rape your wife and kill your kids and, and carry you away into captivity and, 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 uh, and burn your city to the ground and, and you're, you're fearful and you can't get any sleep and the next morning you walk out and that army of soldiers, they're all laying there dead, every last one of them, all 185,000 of them, the angel of the Lord went through while they slept and just killed all of them. You say, did that actually happen? There are other historical accounts that claim a plague ran through and killed a bunch of them. Uh, the Assyrians have deleted this from their own history. I think we all can understand why. Uh, but there are other historical accounts that seem to indicate that this is true. And the way that the king Sennacherib would die is also backed up with history. Look at verse 37. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt uh, at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisrosh, his god. This would have been years later. Okay? It came to pass. So several years go by. He's, in, he's, he's worshiping his false god, Nisrosh, that uh, Adremelech and uh, Sherezir, his sons, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia, and um, his son reigned in his stead. So what happened? What happened? Just as God predicted, it came true. Go back over with me to Mark chapter 11. Let's finish where we began this morning, or this, uh, this evening. Mark chapter 11, look at verse 22. We're not going to read the verses below it. We are going to read verse 22. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Is life hard? Yep, it sure is. Uh, are there times where there's an enemy, whether it's an emotional enemy, a physical enemy, a financial enemy, um, uh, sitting right outside the gate of our heart, challenging us and threatening us? Yes, but never lose faith in God. Because if you, God is on your side, then my friend, you'll overcome and you'll be just fine. Let's stand together and we'll be sent forth to serve the Lord the rest of the week. Thank you for your faithfulness to church.